0: This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning.
1: My name is Scott Lewis. I'm the editor-in-chief at Voice of San Diego and the host of Good Schools for All and the Voice of San Diego podcasts. If you're interested in sponsoring one of our podcasts and associating your company's name or message with the great shows we produce, please let us know. Contact Aaron Zlotnick at Aaron at voiceofsandiego.org. That's E-R-I-N at voiceofsandiego.org. Today's podcast is sponsored by San Diego based MindTouch, a cloud based software that helps companies take product documentation and turn it into a customer engagement channel that educates buyers and creates product experts to grow revenue. With MindTouch, you can create a self service customer experience with your documentation that increases customer success and improves sales and marketing. Here at Voice of San Diego, We have a soft spot for MindTouch because its co-founder and chief technology officer, Steve Bjorg, is one of our loyal supporters and tech advisors. If you're looking for a way to improve customer experience, check out MindTouch.com. My mom
0: says my neighborhood school isn't good enough. How am I supposed to know my kids are getting the best education possible?
1: Welcome to Good Schools for All, a podcast from the investigative news organization Voice of San Diego and the Education Synergy Alliance.
2: We cut through the jargon and polarized debate to get you the news and ideas that matter. Good schools are at the heart of our democracy and economy, and we're about good schools for all kids.
1: We hope you'll learn and maybe teach us something.
2: It should be an excellent school in every community.
1: Enjoy the show. And I'm Scott Lewis from the Voice of San Diego, and I'm here with my friend. Hello.
2: Hello, Laura Cohn from the Education Synergy Alliance.
1: Well, hello, hello, Laura.
2: Hello, Scott. How are you? I'm doing very well.
1: School started this week for San Diego Unified. Wow, here it is. San Diego Unified School District. A little earlier this year, I guess they're trying to move things over, shift them. Um, last year, we started after Labor Day. Now we start this week.
2: Yeah, I'm big sh- change. I hope, hope everyone woke up in the morning, got out of bed, got to school.
1: Yeah, you know, we're getting better at that. You know, my my son is interesting. He uh, I'm really excited about this year, but he is gone through the summer and he gets really excited about um uh, building things but like he's not okay with just you know cardboard models of things like he wants the actual thing so he's convinced uh, himself or he did for a while that he was going to build an actual car like a, like <laughs> a full-size vehicle Uh huh. and you know we, we had to tactfully each Ambitious. time yeah talk about how like you know That's actually very difficult. (laughs) And he wasn't happy even with my idea of like building a, you know, a go-kart or something. Like I could maybe get a kid or something and do that. Right. I don't know how I would pull that off. It's not cheap, but we'd figure it out maybe. Yeah. No, no, that wasn't good enough. And then uh, I thought I was was excited because he was, he watched, you know, the Peanuts movie. And now he wants to... He wanted a typewriter. And so I'm like, oh, this is something.
2: Yeah, right up your alley. I'm
1: like, I've been waiting for you to want to learn how to type because that's something I can handle, man. I'm not very good with my hands, but I am very good at that. And, and then, you know, I found out, no, he actually wants a typewriter like Snoopy has. Yeah. That goes clink, 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 clink. Yeah. And, and he dings wants at to, the end of the line. Right. And yeah. he wants to build it. And so, oh so, <laughs> <laughs> my like, gosh, every step I'm like, I don't know what to do. Is, so, he, is
2: he a Minecraft boy?
1: Yes. Okay. Yeah. In fact, we were building tunnels under our new house in Minecraft. It was wonderful until he broke open a wall and flooded it, the tunnels. And we, we still talk about how traumatic that was. That was a very traumatic moment moment. So, so yes. Yeah, so uh, hopefully we can get him satisfied with virtual construction for a while. Maybe I'll try my hand at building a boat or something with he's
2: him. He's a maker boy. But
1: yes. He's, he, his mind is a little farther along than his motor skills <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, so yeah, school back in session. Now uh, we have a topic about what happens at the end of the line. Yeah. Uh, so you, my son's starting. A lot of people are starting this year. But uh, but what about the graduation rates? This has been a really big issue. Um, there was a there was actually a time last year in March, or just you know a few months ago in March, when Julian Betts, a researcher at UCSD, was uh, basically saying that the San Diego Unified School District would need a miracle to raise its graduation rate to ninety percent. And ta da the miracle supposedly happened the district uh, at the end of the year announced that it would hit 92% an all-time high amazing and so w- we are really interested in in what has gone into that we've tried to understand a little bit and and we still have some outstanding questions i just to give you an an example of of what uh what has happened so in october 2014 to so two two and a half years ago or two years ago there was a uh 59%, just 59% of the class of 2016 was on track to graduate. And the reason that this was a big deal, and we talked about it then, is, is because this would be the first year, 2016, when the A through G requirements would be in place for graduates of San Diego Unified. Right. And take a second and, and describe what those are.
2: So the A through G requirements are the set of courses that the um, UCs and CSU universities in our um, in our state, require for kids to have completed in order to even qualify to apply for um, a place in one of their schools, and so it's 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 um it's really just uh, simple things like four years of English, two years of history and social science three years of math but and well I'll finish it two years of lab science um, two years of a language other than English one year of a visual and performing art and then one elective it's a little trickier than what I just said because it's not just any old math class that counts or any old science class they have to um, the districts each have to get the universities to um, agree or certify that the course that they're offering meets their level of rigor or standards requirements so general math would meet it, but um, an integrated math that um, they've gotten qualified would would potentially meet it. So uh, that's a big deal to commit, a big change for the district to commit, for district and other districts in California have made this commitment as well, to commit that every student will um, have to complete that set of coursework in order to graduate.
1: Right. And so we are actually going to talk to Andrea Guerrero, who was one of the people who really pushed for this, these standards to be put in place about five or six years ago at San Diego Unified so that when students graduated, uh, they would be able to apply to, San, or to the UC or, or Cal State system. it's kind of horrifying to think about is to imagine a kid who might have gotten all that they needed to do in high school maybe even been at the top of their class, and yet not have done the very basic things to get into these public universities in California.
2: Right, because either they didn't know or because the coursework that they needed wasn't available to them.
1: Now, there's some things, uh, so just to put this, um, you know, miracle into context, in 2014, Fewer than thirty percent of Lincoln's students were on Lincoln High School students were on track to graduate under the new requirements, and now it's at eighty nine percent. A similar story at Morse High School, where fifty three percent of students were on track in twenty fourteen, and now ninety nine percent are on track to graduate. And so, let's talk about what they did and, and what our questions about this are still. Yeah, um, I think
2: I think the the first thing we should explain to folks is that. Um, When they're reporting percent, when anyone's reporting percents, they're actually reporting a fraction. Right. Uh, And I'll tell you, Scott, when um, when kids have trouble passing math standardized math tests, it's almost always the fractions that get them. Yeah, it's the hardest part: fractions and percents. Right. So we're we're taking our listeners through a little lesson on uh, fractions and percents now. So when when you hear um, a policymaker say something about a rate or a percent, you're actually talking about a fraction, which means There's a numerator and there's a denominator.
1: Right. The total population at the bottom and then what was, you know, you're measuring at the top, right? What happened at the top. So just just to talk about what they did really quick. They said they tracked kids better. You know, yeah. they saw who was not on track to graduate, and they tracked them. And, and Yep, they did
2: they, that, they, they really dug in kid by kid on that, which is what they needed to do.
1: Right. They added uh, counselors so that they could track that better, mm-hmm. uh, and they gave uh, multilingual kids. So if you came in already knowing a language other than English, they gave them the chance to test out of the foreign language requirement. And uh, they let uh, Ds stand uh, as, uh, as sort of you could pass a class if you had a D. So um, so, what our questions are about that is, is, you know, the graduation rate ostensibly, if you heard that, you might think of it as like the unemployment rate. Well, if that's, you know, if, if 92% of kids graduated, then that means only 8% of kids who started school or whatever didn't, right? That's what you would think,
2: yeah. And but, that's, that's what it's supposed to represent is that intuitive idea.
1: Right. But that's not necessarily the case. If you – it's it's – we're trying to understand what the actual numerator and denominator is. And at the San Diego Unified School District, we're having a little trouble getting that information out at Voice of San Diego. Mario Coran, who did some of this earlier work on on some of this uh, change, I remember him doing work in 2014 about uh, how worried we were about these population of kids, you know, at places like Morris and Lincoln High School, who, with a vast majority, were not ready. So – uh the numerators. Let's let's talk about 2014 and 2015. This is last year, right? right. Okay. So let's talk. Uh, give me the number of the students in and traditional high schools in comprehensive high schools, as they're called, uh, in, in as they were entering ninth grade for the for the they were the class of 2015. It would be
2: right. So the freshmen in the class of 2015 in comprehensive high schools in San Diego Unified. Uh, was nine thousand and seventy seven
1: so nine thousand seventy seven kids were ninth graders in twenty in for the class of of, of two thousand and fifteen that 's right and and then how many of them in the, this is in the comprehensive schools this does not include the alternative or, or charter schools
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and then how many of them graduated
2: there were five thousand seven hundred and eighty five graduates from comprehensive high schools in San Diego unified in two thousand and fifteen
1: so a difference of about four thousand But the
2: 3,200, yeah, 3,300, yeah.
1: So if you just did that numerator and denominator, it would not look good.
2: No, that'd be 64%.
1: But that's not the numerator and denominator they use. They Mm -hmm. use the numerator was uh, the the number we just talked about, that 5,700. And the the denominator at that time was what they called the cohort, right? Mm -hmm. And that was what?
2: 6,188. Yielding a cohort graduation rate of 92%.
1: Right. So that's an example of how you can get a graduation rate that looks really great. Um, but then the question is what happened to that larger population? And uh, what happened to it is, is not necessarily that they didn't graduate. They might have mm-hmm. gone to a charter school. They might have gone to an alternative school. Or they might have done what else? Uh,
2: they might have gone to another school district. Or moved. Yeah. Or, yeah, right. They might have moved um, out of San Diego or um, they might have died.
1: <laughs> right. Right.
2: <laughs> They'd get taken out as a dominator for that for right. all of those reasons.
1: And so we are trying to get right now those those exact numbers for this new year. Um mm-hmm. uh, because we have a a total graduation um number of of 6239 uh so far as of, as of July of this year, just last month, 6,239 kids had graduated.
2: Right, which is more than 2015.
1: Right, which does not count also the the couple or the bunch that might finish at the end of the summer, right? Mm -hmm. They take summer school. Yeah. And so, um, but when you look back at how many students were enrolled in San Diego Unified, you know, four years ago, that number is quite high. It's above 11,000. And so if you do that, numerator and denominator, there, there's a bunch we're not sure of where they're at. So what we're trying to understand right now, Voice San Diego Mario Cran, is, you know, what happened? So uh, if you know, let us know. Uh, we have an actual hotline you could call, 619-354-1085. That's 619-354-1085. Uh, leave your, uh, your name and where you're calling from. If you do not want us to play your audio or, or cite it in any way, you need to make that clear, but we will respect that. Good journalists here, um, but uh, again, that number six one nine three five four ten eighty five. But um, you know, that's in this is an issue across the state. This is this is something that people are talking about across the state. Yeah, the L.A. Times editorial board had a really interesting editorial on June twenty fifth. They talked about. Uh, how there was a spectacular improvement standing at the Los Angeles Unified School District, where fully seventy-seven percent of students who had come in as ninth graders four years earlier were now going to graduate as seniors. But as the LA Times pointed out, uh, that this announcement left off uh, a lot of the kids who were in alternative schools, and that if you counted that, it wouldn't be nearly as as high; it would be sixty-seven percent. Uh, and then they pointed out that uh, a lot of the increases that you're seeing across the state of of better graduation rates w- had another direct reason, which is that the state got rid of the high school exit exam.
2: Oh yes, that helps. So yes, kids don't have to pass a test in order to graduate any longer. Right. And the other thing that's kicked in is. Um, comes from education technology, which is a thing called credit recovery. So as online learning has become more and more widely available and there are more and more vendors, one of the products that those vendors are offering is something called a credit recovery course where a student um, goes in and takes just the lessons that they score poorly on on pretests that the online course offers. And so it's a sort of quick way of um, having a student Pass or show that they 've gotten mastery supposedly of the content of a course
1: mm-hmm. and just uh, for example, at San Diego Unified this year, uh, there were two thousand six hundred and thirty four remedial courses taken online, uh, and they had a pass rate of eighty two percent so um, they 're making use of that sort of issue yeah uh, so another there was a really interesting um, uh, sort of point in that LA Times editorial. they talked uh, to a guy named Russell. Rumberger at the department, uh, he's the director of the California Dropout Research Project at UC Santa Barbara. He says he's just not a fan of measuring school success by its graduation rate because doing so encourages schools to lower their standards or to use misleading numbers or find ways to get failing students out of their schools without having to count them as dropouts. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's probably balanced by the fact that, like, these increased standards that we implemented in, in San Diego Unified have actually produced you know, uh, more activity in making sure students are ready.
2: Yeah. I mean, the it, it, to the degree that um, schools are offering more of the courses that kids need to graduate on time and to graduate with A through G requirements, that is a A really important and positive change um, to have happened. And I also love um, the option that students have to show their language mastery through um, alternative tests. If they come in from another country and they speak and are literate in that um, language, then um, they should have a chance to show that.
1: Right. Let's do our number of the week. This week's number is, um, also about Santa Unified. One of the things that Santa Unified did was allow students who already know another language to test out of the requirement that they take two years of foreign language. Right. Mm -hmm. And many of them took that. And this year, 952 students passed that test. And that was four times higher than the year before. So, uh, lot of activity there now what do you think about that should they be able, should they be required as well to take a foreign language t- or does that make sense to you uh,
2: I, for me personally I think that we should aim for all of our students to be at least bilingual if mm-hmm. not more and um, if we've got students who already are bilingual and, and we can help them to show that they've they've uh, got that asset going for them then I'm all for it
1: and they can spend their time doing other things to catch Absolutely. up in other ways or to, to get ahead in other ways yeah our what's working this week
2: So what's working that I want to lift up is that CSU San Marcos and SDSU have forged agreements with uh, one by one school district by school district that gives a promise to students of districts that uh, who are in their geography that if they meet the A through G requirements, if they graduate and meet the A through G requirements, um, then they will be guaranteed admission to CSU San Marcos and, and SDSU has offered this deal as well. And it's really motivating to a lot of students to just know that um, if they if they can meet those, if they can get across that threshold, then they've got a spot at our local um, CSUs.
1: Great. Well, if you want to come and learn a lot about what's happening at, uh, this year on the ballot, because you are about, a couple of weeks away, if you are a voter in San Diego County, you are about to get a massive couple of books about uh, what's going to be on your ballot in, uh, in, in November. And it's, it's long. There are a lot of things on there. Uh, one thing that we're watching in particular is the question about bilingual education. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether prop fifty-eight, prop fifty-eight. This is the we talked about bilingual education. Uh, this is the effort to repeal or, or th- throw out the nineteen ninety-eight. Um ballot measure that that made bilingual education illegal, except for some you know exemptions that that have been exercised or exploited as much as possible. But in order to pursue some of the bilingual programs that seem to be showing promise, we would need to throw out this uh, this old law.
2: Yep, it's a referendum from the legislature, so recommended to the voters by by our representatives. Right, but
1: they can't throw it out themselves, yep. precisely because it was a voter reg- uh, a referendum before, mm-hmm. and so. That is uh, interesting, along with dozens of other local and state uh, initiatives, never mind the candidates that are running for school board in San Diego or for, um, you know, all of these uh, uh, city attorney, all these different discussions. There's still a county office of education race that's an interesting one. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to do everything we can at PolitiFest on September 24th uh, to you can go to PolitiFest and leave that night uh, a lot smarter about all these ballot measures and a lot of the debates going on. We're going to have debates all day long. We're going to have keynote speakers. We have uh, uh, Ryan Salam, who's uh, um, executive editor at National Review, a conservative publication. He's opening the day as a keynote, and I'll be on stage with him asking him questions about the future of conservatism and the Republican Party. And then by the evening, we have uh, DeRay McKesson from uh, the one of the uh, leaders of, uh, of Black Lives Matter and a long... Uh, spokesperson on, on those issues across the state or country. Fascinating guy.
2: Mm, I'm coming. Good. I'm going to be at Politifest.
1: Good. And debates all day long. So please consider coming to that. You can look for more information at Politifest.org. Uh that's P-O-L-I-T-I-Fest dot org. And uh, if you are a member of Voice San Diego, it's only twenty-five dollars. If if you're not, it's forty. Uh but you get a free membership if you do that, which uh, you know, obviously is probably one of the most valuable things you'll have in your virtual wallet. Mm -hmm. Um, So please, uh, all students are free. We know we have a lot of students out there, so all you have to do is show that you're a student somehow. So you're coming?
2: I'm going to be there.
1: Great. Um, So we have a very good conversation coming up with Andrea uh, Guerrero from Alliance San Diego. Let's do it. Okay, we're joined in the great Voice of San Diego podcast studio in downtown San Diego by Andrea Guerrero from the Alliance San Diego. She's the executive director. Welcome, Andrea.
0: Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm fine. How are you?
1: Very good. Thank you. Uh, So tell us, first of all, what is Alliance San Diego and uh, what are you working on?
0: Alliance San Diego is a community empowerment organization working to uh, create the kind of San Diego where everyone can achieve their full potential in an environment of harmony, safety, equality, and justice.
1: There you go. So you have been thinking about the standards for graduation uh, for quite some time. We've been talking about it today on the podcast. What um, what made you consider that, or con- your group consider that such an important focus?
0: Well, about eight years ago, we did a Public Records Act request of the San Diego Unified School District and other school districts around the county to get a better understanding of what were the courses that students were taking. And we were shocked to learn that many students in San Diego Unified were not taking what is called the A through G coursework. And when we looked at that geographically, we saw that there was a big divide between north and south of eight. And so we could see that not only were these students not taking these courses, but when we looked at the course offerings, many of the A through G courses were not offered or offered in sufficient number to allow the majority of the students to take these courses. And so there was a structural impediment to students completing A through G in the district. And we knew that there were students who were graduating high school in some of the high schools with 4.0s, and they hadn't completed A through G because they weren't aware of the A through G requirement to get into the UC and CSUs. Let's do
1: some um, just background for folks that aren't necessarily familiar with San Diego um, and politics and such. Uh, San Diego is often referred to or discussed about this divide um, between north and south of 8. The 8 runs through the middle of of San Diego City um, and also the county in some ways. And it's often a shorthand for areas south of the 8 that that, uh, have a lot of Uh, poverty or other underserved um, services and and issues. And so what you're saying is that when you first pulled this up, it was striking that some of the schools in City Heights or Southeastern San Diego or Barrio Logan were getting far um, fewer opportunities to, to complete this A through G or just weren't aware, like you said.
0: Well, there was very little awareness of the A through G requirements in the student and the parent population. And the burden was on students and parents to advocate for their children to get A through G courses We wanted to shift that burden to the schools and to the school district by having them required to provide these courses to all students, you know, with exceptions where they were merited, uh, but to allow everyone an opportunity to have their choice of college and career by completing an A through G set of courses. And, you know, these are not mystery courses. These are math, science, English, language, etc. And the district, ironically, was only two sh- two courses short of a complete A through G set in their graduation requirements. But being two courses short meant that 60% of the students in the district were not completing those courses.
1: So you, you were finding resourceful, you know, plugged-in students who were doing the work who just weren't completing the very basic requirements to get into UC or state schools.
0: That's right. We had a student who we learned of and talked to, who was graduating from high school only to learn that, and she was graduating at the top of her class only to learn that she was not going to be eligible for the UCs or the CSUs because she had not completed the the full set of A3G courses, not all of which were available at her school. And what so, school was that? Uh, I don't recall. This was a number of years yeah. ago, but it was a school south of 8, mm-hmm. and it was an example of of the problem that we were seeing, which was that there was a lot of discretion happening in who took these courses. Counselors were making decisions about which students merited the courses. There weren't enough of these courses in the schools. That was demonstrated by the Public Records Act request that we completed. And so there were structural impair- impediments. There was uh, the, the discretion of the counselors were at play. And then there was a lack of knowledge and understanding on the part of students and and uh, and parents. And so with one policy change, we were able to shift the burden. We were able to advocate for the support and the resources that the students would need to complete those two extra courses to complete the entire A through G sequence.
2: So when was the policy change made? And um, I think we know that it went into effect for this year's graduating class for the first time, but when was the policy first changed?
0: That's right. In 2011, the school board made this change and it took a number of years to implement. And so we've been walking alongside the school district as they have been implementing this. There were some hiccups along the way. We had to implement this in the course of deep recession here in California when school budgets were being cut severely. But we applaud the district for committing to this as a priority and making sure that it got done.
2: How did the recession get in the way of um, implementing on the new change?
0: Well, at a time when the school district was cutting teachers, that had an impact on on the ability of of the district to be able to provide the right resources and the right teachers to teach these courses, right? You can't simply take a a science teacher and make that teacher a math teacher or vice versa and they they needed to hire up in order to to complete to fill out the teaching needs in the district, and that was difficult during recession. I think it might help.
2: Um, can we get a little more specific about the kinds of classes that weren't available to students who wanted to, who, who already knew about but, and wanted to do A through G but couldn't get the classes? Um, let's see if we can bring it alive a little.
0: Sure. So, for example, uh, we had, you know, schools were offering general math as opposed to algebra to students in the ninth grade, which put them uh, off schedule in order to complete the number of uh, math courses that they needed, right? Because general,
2: general math does not right? meet the A through G requirements. Exactly. Algebra and geometry and Algebra two. Exactly, do.
0: they do, right? So they were what we called filler classes, classes that were in, intended to make students better prepared for the subsequent classes but uh, the effect that they were having was that they were they were teaching to a lower expectation, and what we now see several years later is that students who are provided algebra right off the bat are rising to the expectation, and they are learning the material, and they are succeeding.
1: This is a common discussion, I think, in in discussion of of standards and and you know poverty, high poverty school areas. And such, they'll say, you know, you say, well, we need to have high standards for the students. And they'll say, well, the area just can't support that. The parents can't support that or, or whatever, that there's some sort of, you know, inherent problem in the, com- in the community that would have to be solved before you could have high standards. Did you guys wrestle with that? And, and what, what have you learned as you went through that?
0: No, we didn't wrestle with that because we are, the, the advocates who are advocating, the students themselves, myself, have the lived experience of of. Being in a low-expectation environment and surpassing that low, expecta- low expectation despite the circumstances that we come from. And so expectations are only that. They are expectations. Your your zip code is not your destiny. And we needed the school district to understand that, right? So it was, a, it was definitely a culture shift. We had a refugee mother come up to the school district and speak publicly and, at an open meeting and say, You would expect that my children would not succeed. I came here five years ago. We came from refugee camps. My children didn't learn to read and write until late in life because they were in war-torn areas. And yet, three of my children are already at UCSD because I am an education advocate, right? But what about all of the other students who don't have a parent who, who can dedicate the time and the resources to advocate for their students to get into the right courses? And so we don't want to make presumptions about any students. We don't want to make any categorical presumptions about any set of students. And that was what this policy was really about. It was about looking at individuals and saying, we, we see promise in you, and we are going to provide you the resources, the courses, and the support you need to be able to succeed in the 21st century. I mean, the reality is, Scott, is that you know, part of why we were doing this was because there was a workforce gap. And, you know, the, the community colleges at the time were spending abundant resources in remedial courses because students were graduating unprepared. They were not doing the, the job they needed to do at the school district in order to prepare these students for the college and career choices that they had available to them. And that includes programs at the community colleges, associate programs, degree programs at the colleges, apprenticeship programs that are run through the community colleges. They were simply not ready. And so we need students in high school to have meaningful degrees so that they can walk out and that they can make their choice of college and career. And that's what this policy is doing. One of
1: the things we've been talking about on this show is uh, is how they've tried to make these adjustments. And you know they the the san diego unified school district that we're talking about um has is touting a, a a much higher uh grad rate than a lot of people were worried would happen because of of how the how you know sort of prepared or not prepared they were when this was implemented and and uh, you know we tracked some of the things that they did um there was a, there was a uh, you know they they let uh, English language learners test out of uh, foreign language requirements, which I thought was interesting. Almost a thousand kids did that. There was uh, they were tracking kids individually. Um, they uh, they had additional ca- uh, counselors going to schools that were having trouble meeting some of these standards, and and then they also made a decision to to allow D's. Uh, to be passing, right? So grade D's, right?
0: Yeah. And just to clarify, that wasn't a decision. That's been a longstanding policy at San Diego University. They just
1: decided not to change it.
0: That There was no decision at all there. Okay. That was the policy. What we were focused on was adding in the courses needed to complete the A through G set of requirements.
1: And there were some worries that, that there might be some grade inflation or other things that sort of pushed kids through that. Just like you worried about like when when they would graduate and go to community college not prepared have you noticed anything like that? Have you guys been tracking it?
0: No, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, Scott. And we see that 92% of the students have graduated. Uh, we see that the the standardized test scores are increasing. We see that the achievement gap is closing. And we see that these students are going on to uh, community college and four-year universities and much higher rates than they've ever gone before, Right. And so uh, this certainly warrants some log- longitudinal study, mm-hmm. and perhaps one of the universities could set up could come forward and, and do that kind of work. But in the, you know, anecdotally, with the students that we've been working with, with the families that we've been working with, I am so impressed by the students in this school district. and I hope others are too. I mean, we rail on education, and we often forget to look at the students. They are so impressive, and the future is bright with the class of 2016 and beyond. We have some exceptionally talented students, and I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about over 90% who are going to help lead San Diego into the future.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Andrea, I know that um, in Los Angeles Unified School District, as in San Diego, they've used this credit recovery strategy, more online um coursework where you don't take the full course you just sort of try and make up for some of the concepts that you missed using online uh, courses that the assessments at the end are embedded in those and there are some uh, who have been tuned in in Los Angeles who are really worried about the quality of the learning that might happen in those credit recovery courses have you all heard much about that or thought much about it and what's your perspective on it
0: Well, credit recovery is one of the many tools that this school district and other school districts use to allow students to catch up when, for a variety of reasons, they've fallen behind. It is not the first course of action. The first course of action is a well-taught class with students who are engaged and succeed in that class. But there are circumstances in which students fall behind, and credit recovery is an opportunity for them to be able to make that up in order to move forward in you know, I think that, that again, that's not a change. That's always been there. And so um, do those credit recovery courses need to improve? I don't know. But what I do know is that the district has made use of the tools that are available to to it. They have gone all the way down to the individual student level to make sure that students are getting the courses and the supports that they need. Can they do more of that? Absolutely. Are there gaps? Absolutely. But when we see the kind of growth in achievement that we've seen over the last four years. And it didn't start, you know, uh, in ninth grade for these students because we had a little extra time. The students, the the teachers knew A3G was coming, and so we've been moving all the way down river to, um, or up river, river rather, into middle school and into elementary school, and we need to do a lot more of that for sure.
1: Mm. Um, you know, looking across the district, to uh, there are vast differences, obviously, between like Scripps Ranch High School, Lincoln High School, Morse versus La Jolla High, what, but they're all in the same district. It's all the same district. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I, w- I wanted to ask you while you were here is just what else have you noticed about inequity in San Diego Unified itself that needs to be addressed? Um, you know, it's something that that I think causes a lot of uh, worries for me nightmares even to think that there might be students who who could succeed better in some of these schools but for whatever reason don't have the don't have the IB program or the AP program or something like that what have you noticed that that needs some work
0: all right so now we know that all of the schools provide the complete set of A through G to students unless they have an indiv- individual learning plan and that's those are extraordinary cases right Uh, But there's still a disparity in AP courses, course offerings. There's still a disparity in IB course offerings. And so these are the courses that that go beyond uh, making you eligible for the UC and CSU. These are the courses that make you competitive. Mm -hmm. And that's really important to understand. Uh, So where are the gaps and what more work do we need to do? We need to continue to look at the disparity not only between schools but within schools. So you can have a high-performing school like some of the ones that you've mentioned, look inside and understand that not all of the students are getting the same kind of uh, access to programs such as AP, IB, et cetera, right? There are some racial disparities inside those schools that we need to be concerned about. Um, But district-wide, where are the big, big gaps, where are the big opportunities for change I would say that that's around the English learners and that's around the newcomers and those would be the refugee students in particular. There are schools that are doing really well in supporting newcomers and English learners and there are schools that are not doing as well, right? and The work ahead is to figure out what's working and what's not working and make sure that we don't do what we just finished not doing, which is setting low expectations. For these students, simply because they're newcomers, when we see that they, they are succeeding in our school district in some places more than they are in others.
2: Well, how, should we, how can we know which schools are doing better with refugees and English learners and immigrants than others? What do you look at data and which indicators do you find most um, important?
0: Right. So the, the district is looking at this data. We're looking at the data. And you can see in the A3G completion data... Uh, this kind of information. So this was all published recently in the last couple months, and we can see that schools such as Kearney, uh, which are integrating their newcomers and providing individual level support, is doing an excellent job. There are other schools um, such as Crawford that are still struggling. They have a different approach to the newcomers. Uh, They they pull them together. They have a newcomer center, but something is still not quite right there. So I think that is uh, what we need to explore more fully. We need to do it in conjunction with the teachers and the stakeholders and the parents and the community to better understand what works and what doesn't. Uh,
2: So what do you do as an organization to activate the communities in the schools where – or are you involved in that?
0: Yeah, so some of the things that we've done in the past is we've uh, held parent leadership training. So we educate parents in in the different schools about – the issues and we solicit their opinions. What do you, what do you think parents would be the solution to increasing success of our students? And so, we've done that a few times, where we've we've done it in small group sessions. We've done it in a series of focus groups throughout the schools in the district. We've done it in the form of a of a survey of several thousand parents, and to get at their ideas, uh, because often these are the parents that aren't engaging in the in the governance structures at the schools, like PTA or um, site governance teams. Uh, but because they're working, they're not available for those sorts of things, but they have really good concrete ideas. And so those are some of the things that we've done Is we've pulled those ideas together. We've shared that in survey form. I have those here next to me um, to share ideas about class size ratio. Do the, do the parents feel that that's significant or not? Um, What about after school programs? What about Saturday programs? What about uh, their sense of the student's sense of safety in the school? Is that an issue? What are the top priorities for the parents that they think will help their students succeed? Getting an understanding of that and infusing that into the conversation is so important.
1: Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, has always fascinated me about the equity issue as well is, is, is some of the systemic issues. Are there you know, there are teachers who will wait in line to get into a, a school in, in say La Jolla or something like that, and then new, stu- new uh, teachers that kind of get thrust into the heart of the biggest problems with the underserved areas. Uh, are there structural reforms like that that we could be working on as we pursue so these these other IB and other additions to to the school life that that students have?
0: You point out a, an interesting dilemma, right? That the younger, student, younger teachers or the newer teachers are um, given the lowest priority in terms of school selection, right? So we have a, a seniority system in our in our teaching force, and so it's often the less experienced teachers who are put in the most difficult situations. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to work with the teachers. To understand what are the supports that those teachers need to, be, to well any teacher really to be in those schools, and you know the other factor is that we have uh, an aging teaching force that is at the at the uh, older end.
1: Mm-hmm. We just talked about that at last pod- last podcast, right?
0: Then. So at the older end, they are um, more white, mm-hmm. and at the younger end, they are more diverse. And we absolutely need to have um, more diversity in our teaching force because that—that that is definitely going to help in the schools. Uh, mentorship is a is a big part of teaching uh, for students to be able to see somebody who looks like them in the teaching force. That's that's super important, right?
2: I wish that were the case, but actually, the younger teachers are, are tend to be less diverse than the older teachers because uh, these days. Uh, communities of color have uh, people of color have more options for careers they go into. So it's been actually a struggle for the teaching community generally to um, continue to attract folks of color into the teaching force. So it's exacerbating that problem even more.
0: Well, uh, that's important to understand. I'm, you know, is that true in San Diego Unified? I'm not sure. Yeah, because my understanding is in San Diego Unified, it, the the younger end of the teaching force is more more diverse. But Good. regardless of of whether it is or it isn't, you know, yeah. it's a priority. For we sure. need to make sure that the teaching force reflects the student population.
1: Well, Andrea uh, Guerrero from uh, the Alliance for uh, San Diego, appreciate you coming today. That was uh, interesting stuff, and, and we'll all be tracking it to see how it is implemented.
0: Thanks, Andrea. Thank uh, Thank you.
2: Well, that was a great conversation. What I really appreciate about it is that um, Andrea really emphasized the civil rights dimensions to these questions about who gets access to the coursework they need to, to get that ticket to their future.
1: I think the civil rights impact, the civil rights focus on school, you know, accountability and performance is really interesting, right? It's like... It's, it's not just a uh, concern about parents, you know, worried about their kids or whatever, that there's an actual issue of equity involved when you're talking about whether school's doing as well as another school in the same district.
2: Yeah. And so sometimes it's uh, obvious things or not so obvious things about resources, how much money is available in each particular school. But um, in this case, coursework and what you're able to take is another Um, equity and civil rights question that is maybe not so obvious, but is super important.
1: Right, right. All right. And so we will uh, look for these new numbers and stay tuned. Uh, Again, if you have any feedback on on this or other issues that you're dealing with, uh, call 619-354-1085, 619-354-1085. And we're going to work on some numerators and denominators.
2: (laughs) Let's do our fractions. And
1: we'll keep you up to date. Thank you very much.